listening to Dice and Mallet, Joy Hammer Unboxed. I'm here with Ed the Head, Eddie, the Tabletop Titan. <laughs> Delete all of that. Somebody contacted me the other day out of the blue, and they're like, Hey, Ed, would you like me to put in some more games for the con? I was like, Nope. You've just lost. As soon as you call me Ed, you're out. <laughs> all right, all right. This is a brand new podcast. We've only got two episodes, and this is the first time I'm having you get on with me. Never done a podcast before, so I wanted to get everything rolling and set up before. Because we you're a professional guy. I am a professional guy. I try to be. Why don't I think everybody kind of knows everything that I do and what I'm about? So why don't you tell everybody um, what you're into and what you're about? Well, this is. Eddie, never Ed. And uh, let's see, what do I do? I do the No Class RPG podcast. So hopefully some of you people listening to that will come over and listen to this. And maybe some of you that listen to this will come over and listen to that. I also do the Long Con, which is Longview's RPG convention, um, writing some adventures for DCC products mostly. Uh, Rock and I right now are working on one, and I'm writing it, and he's illustrating it. I am actually working on some board games now because over the last few years I've really made a big transition from spending a lot of time in the RPG world to the board game world the dark side well why don't you talk about the campaign that you already that you've already had published and that one interests myself would it interest you yes it would <laughs> yes it would yeah the first <laughs> adventure that I've uh, written and published is car engine the casino car engine casino so this is about making car repairs in a <laughs> casino uh-huh for context, it's not Car Engine Casino. It's Carnage in the Casino, and you actually launched this on Kickstarter, and it was successful, correct? I don't know if it was success- successful as Ravens by any means, but... I, I don't know. I didn't look, but I have seen your book at board game stores, and I'm still trying to get my game into board game stores. So. That's always good, though, is to see your work somewhere else, especially if you didn't have to be the one that put it there. So what inspired you to create that campaign? So what, first off, for everybody listening, what is it? What is it? It's a zero-level funnel. So this is getting into the RPG side of things. It's a zero-level funnel for MCC, which is Mutant Crawl Classics, which is the post-apocalyptic offshoot of DCC, which is Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is done by Goodman Games. And I also, now that I said Goodman Games, I do a Twitch show for them as well. That sounds amazing. It is. So what inspired you to create this particular campaign? What, what, what went through your mind as it said, I want to make a campaign about what are, it's, it's not zombies in a casino. What would you say the theme is? Sort of Mad Max in a casino. Instead of setting at the uh, oil rig or something, they're going through a death trap shaped like a casino. Okay. So what made you, what inspired you to create that? I think the first thing that inspires you to make your own is playing so many and having so much RPG experience, or we could relate this back to uh, what made you want to make Ravens or put out a board game. It's because you've played it so much and you finally decide you want to make your mark and your impression and put your twist on things. Yeah, actually this is something, I used to be a computer programmer. I, I aspired to be a video game designer. And one of the first things you do as a designer is you take something that you love and you mimic it. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you're trying to, <laughs> you you learn in that way. And over right. time, uh, you develop your own sense of what is fun. And these are the mechanics that I enjoy. And maybe the things that you fell in love with first that you were copying, you've dissected them so much that they're not fun to you anymore. Yeah, of course. Um, so in your campaign, your book, did you put any Easter eggs in there? 
Well, a lot of people probably already heard it, but uh, my co-host for the No Class podcast, Matt Gullett, is in there as the Gullett Lifestyle Center. Okay. So that's kind of, it's the typical casino thing, but then you've got the you know the shopping area that all of them have to have after you win all your money. Okay. Well, remember, Eddie, I'm not allowed to play. Dungeons and Dragons with you, so I don't have a lot of reference. I didn't know you were allowed to play at all. <laughs> I thought you had been completely kicked out from everybody. So I'm I'm the typical rogue player that no DM wants on their campaign. Well, I think maybe with that, it's kind of like with board games with you. I think when you sit down to play a board game, you've already got it kind of dissected in your mind, and you're looking at how it works instead of playing it so much. That's true. You're looking at the mechanics. I think every board game I've got up on that shelf, I've taken apart and created spreadsheets on and made my own uh, derivatives of it. It's just my learning process. So for my adventure, the important thing to me was just to keep it weird. Keep it weird. Okay. Isn't that like Austin, Texas? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Keep it weird. Keep Austin weird. Keep them so weird. But that's, that was the main thing with mine was like, I hope it's good. But more importantly than being good to me is to be weird. If somebody gets okay. up from playing that and goes, that was weird. I'm like, all right, success. All right. So that's the, is that the only Easter egg you got in there? One of the primary NPCs, non-player characters is a uh, killbot, And that was one of my characters from a previous game session. So it was good to bring that back in. And I mean, there's just okay. tons of little stuff. There's always going to be references to people or places uh, at one point in time, there was going to be like a, uh, where the robot is, is a, I'm trying to think the, the big stage for the casino or whatever, the entertainment area. At one point that was going to be like all the WWF wrestlers. Okay. And, uh, some of my friend's kids were named in those as the wrestlers. Okay. Now you mentioned the Killbot. I remember flipping through your book and that was a pretty, yeah, that's some good, yeah, that's good art. art. So is there a shout out to this guy right now? Oh yeah, Santiago Aburo. Okay. So he's done he did all of the art for that and he's done all of the art for the long con for the last few years like when we have our one big design for the year, he's the one that's been doing that art. Yeah, he's great. And so what was it like finding an artist to do all of that artwork cuz that's a lot of different pieces and It's a total pain. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult uh trying to work with artists. Uh, a lot of times you have to herd the cats with them. That's one of the things that I always hear. You don't get stuff on your timeline. So you're like, man, I'd love to have this two weeks ago or something, but you have to wait and see. Yeah. As from the other side of that, it is creative process and there's moments of inspiration where as an artist, you're like, oh, I've got that. I'm going to do that today. And then you spend all day doing that piece of art and you may, you know, next day you have absolutely no interest in painting anything ever again. Yeah, and I will say for uh, Santiago, he is great at getting what's in my mind onto the page because I'll send him some examples. Like I'm thinking something like this or I'll find something that he already did, and he's also great at doing it from multiple viewpoints. Yeah, you've got a lot of interesting perspectives that you want to hit your artwork at. Yeah, and it's almost like being a, a director of a movie or something where it's like we need to shoot the shot at this angle. It's kind of tough as an artist to accommodate to like a perspective change, but it sounds like he's really good at it. Oh, yeah, he that's definitely one of the things he's very gifted at because I've seen him uh, do images and he'll make three different angles of it, almost like three different 
photographs or something and it's like okay if this was a picture then he was standing you know far to the right then far to the left and then dead straight on and it's like how much work does that take because for three pictures it's boom 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 but this is three different pieces of art that he's drawing well they're sketches right yeah yeah it probably don't take him that long uh i myself i'm a i would consider myself a novice artist Mm -hmm. so was there ever like this eureka moment just now in the design process for you is yeah is there anything unique about your campaign as opposed to someone else in the similar vein i would go back again to keeping it weird which is a mcc thing all the mcc adventures do have to be that level of weird and i guess it's just being more weird or coming up with that more off the wall idea like a traditional D adventure it's like hey there's a dungeon and there's a dragon go save the princess that sort of thing whereas with the mcc mutant crawl classics you can really get out there it's uh super science and sorcery and kind of like the barbarians of the ruined earth love that where you can put everything into it and just go crazy so it's it's a very unlimited form where you don't have to follow strict rules or whatever i guess you can do your abstract painting easier that way so did you start off with that style in mind or did that just happen because you're just a weird guy? I, a little of both <laughs> because cause I don't know if I could write that classic D&D style module where it's, you know, go from point A to point B. There's always going to have to be something a little strange and different in there because I'm a little strange and different. Okay. So what is your design philosophy? Keep it weird. What's your design philosophy? No. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're moving to board games. So in board games, it's a little bit different. Because you don't have a, there's no expectation. Like when you open up mm-hmm. a board game, when you don't really know what to expect a lot of times. When I open up a TTRPG, I kind of, I have a general idea of what to expect, what what I'm going to be getting into. Like someone handed me the, uh, the root uh, tabletop RPG. I kind of have an idea of what I'm going to get into when I pick that up. So with board games, you don't have any of that. I mean, you can kind of get a context for what you're looking at by the back of the box, you know, what would you consider your philosophy for design or have you even considered that yet? And give me a good example here. My philosophy for design. So you look at games like, well, let's use root. For example, it's my first asymmetrical game. Everybody has their first game of some type that becomes, you know, you're always going to reference it like Raiders of the North sea. Uh, that's, that's very, that's mostly just a resource pusher. You're just pushing the blocks around and, you know, if you dissect it, that's what it really is. But I still love the game. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, I've got all the expansions up there, which I only play with. um, Actually, I think I've removed all the expansions. I think I just enjoy the base game. Mm -hmm. Now, I have wanted to take a look at Raiders of Scythia. And supposedly that takes all these expansions and works it into a single game. Mm-hmm. So I've been told I'll check it out. Uh, they do have a uh, Garfield Games has a new one coming out called Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm interested in getting a hold of that. Uh, but as far as design philosophy for me, I believe in really short setup times. Root and Raiders of the North Sea both take quite a while to set up. Raiders a little more so with all the plunder yeah. you put out. So one of the big things that I'm about is accessibility in gaming. I want almost anybody to be able to have access to play what I have to offer. And one of the ways that I do that is to keep the costs as low as possible. Some people might consider, you know, just making the pieces cheaper or, uh, you know, using less materials or things of that nature. 
I guess it's a game design philosophy based on minimalism. Yeah. And I, I'm, t- I'm totally aware of table presence. Unfortunately, a lot of times board games sell just based on table presence and artwork. Mm, right. Because I predominantly do card games, I have to be careful in my design. Uh, one thing that's really frustrating with setup for card-based games is multiple decks of different types of cards. It's just not fun to set up. And if I've lost you at setup, then <laughs> you're probably not going to have a good opinion of the game. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the pieces that you do have need to be of high quality. Um, we'll use Ravens, for example. I went ahead and used linen finished cards. And, um, well, I think it was ivory core, blue core. I can't remember. It was the highest core that they had because it was important to me that the cards snapped mm-hmm. when you slapped them down on the table or when you riffled, riffle shuffled them or whatever. It just needed to feel good. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of care taken into the design. But as far as my game design philosophy, I think that's where I sit right now. Well, in a way, I'm not actually doing game design so much because I'm not creating my own system. Well, I'm talking about your your new endeavors. Oh, yeah, okay. So I haven't sat down and thought about it enough on that. Um, I guess that probably bringing back family game night. I hate that phrase. <laughs> Making sure yeah, there's a lot of expansions. I'm setting you up. Yeah, I'm setting you up for all these things that you hate. I hate the bring back family game night uh, mantra that everybody just, I don't know. I've heard it so many times and really honestly, like it it almost makes it sound uncool. Unless you love your family. Well, I mean, who does? Come on. Who does? Come on. (laughs) But I would say probably for me, it's going to be keep it simple because that's one of the things that we're... uh, RPG players and board gamers. But for my crew, most of the time, if we get enough of us together, we're going to play an RPG because we already know the rules. Exactly. Whereas when you open a game and you've got a whole new world and a whole new uh, set of rules to learn. So it's like, do you guys want to play something completely new and have to take this setup time and try and figure out what's going on? Or do you want to do the same thing that we've always done and had fun with? No, I totally understand that. That's why... One of my rules, uh, and I actually do have a, a list of rules for game design, and one of them is if I can't sit down and teach my mother how to play this, it's not getting published. <laughs> and it has, and I guess that's a different type of accessibility in gaming. It's sometimes hard to design something that a seven-year-old could pick up mm-hmm. that an adult can also have fun with. Anyway, about what you're working on, do you have a specific project that you're working on right now? or a direction that you're going with what you're developing. Yeah, I have two ideas that kind of need to be fleshed out. And when this game designer friend of mine has some free time, I'll twist his arm and get some help with it. Uh, I've got free time. I will say this, that I'm currently waiting on Panda to get back with me. Clark, if you're listening, I'm on the edge of my seat. We've got a really great concept. I'm doing a, um, well, it's not really a TTRPG, but it has a lot of RPG elements. And I'm working with Steve uh, from the Dragon's Nest, the owner of the Dragon's Nest. And we've got something very, very unique that I've never seen done before. He's never seen it. I've never seen it. And when I pitched it to Panda, they've never seen it. So what I'm asking them to develop is something that they've never really done before. So hopefully Clark's going to bat for me and making it a possibility. Uh, otherwise, if I have to have it produced somewhere else, the cost would be exorbitant and it would not be feasible. So is it going to be using cards? Uh, yes and no. 
So for the audience at home, even I don't know. I've seen some of the art. Uh, you haven't seen the art for this. Really? This is totally different. So you've probably oh. seen the art for the cat game that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is um, uh, tentatively called Cat Burglar. It's about oh, I like it. Uh, not, or, or it's about stealing gems from other players and things like that. Um, there's a, a lot of dice mechanics in that one. It's a lot of fun. Um, there is some take that to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I tell you one thing that I I do want to avoid creating is I know there's a, okay so right now there's this huge trend with party games. Mm-hmm. I just I'm just not a fan. <laughs> That's because you don't like parties. I I don't I hate parties. But I think you enjoy board games in a way different than most people. That's than your average human. That's true. I'm so I didn't have a chance to play uh, very loud librarians, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Um, but there's games that require you to, well, like take uh, Unfinity and Magic, for example. There's only so much fun I could have with that personally. Um, there was a lot of, there's too many silly things in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that game that, um, what was that um, Dungeons and Dragons put together with all their characters in it? Everything they've ever done. No, no, no. The, the card game. It's a very quick little card game. It's not coming to me. It's like Dungeon Monsters or Dungeon something monsters I, I can't remember they uh, did magic is that i've totally lost and then it all fell apart thinking about <laughs> you remember when i created the anti-slapping rule in ravens you, because i love my family so eddie did create the anti-slapping rule in ravens the one that says you may knock on the table instead of violently uh, assaulting your loved ones <laughs> uh so that made it into the rule book uh, if anybody's listening to this as a safety disclaimer do not Slap the cards in a way that would injure you or your loved ones. Actually, and trim you, your nails. You or anyone else don't injure anybody. Please don't do that. So I think some people might be interested. So you went through Kickstarter for your Carnival of Carnage. Kaba in the <laughs> casino. What was your crowdfunding experience? It was very interesting. I had some good help from Goodman Games along the way. That they were like, "Hey, I would have it open for this long." Uh, I was around the holidays. They were like, hey, if you're open past Thanksgiving, you're going to get so many cancellations because people are going to start thinking about their Christmas money. That happened to me. Yeah, I got some too. I had people, one person that I should name names, that one day he would be in, one day he would be out. My Kickstarter only went for two weeks. This person kept coming in and out. The most you could spend on mine was 10 bucks. There's no (laughs) add-ons. There's no this. There's no that. 10 bucks. It's like, dude, either you want it or you don't. Let's not keep flipping $10 back and forth every other day. Yeah, because you get those notifications over and over. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So God? you're like, everybody that's in my Kickstarter, I love you. You're the best people in the world. Except for that one guy who quickly went from like, you're great. You supported my Kickstarter to, uh, let's if stop you doing this up and down. know of anyone, uh, if you or a loved one uh, participated in this back and forth on Kickstarter, just know that there are plasma donation centers available to you. Yeah, but switching every other day, it was redonkulous. So you only ran it for two weeks. How much did you raise in two weeks? I'm going to say, I can't remember my grand total, but it was over 4,000. That's really good. And my goal was 500. 500,000? Yes. (laughs) $500 American. Because I didn't have any great hopes or great expectations, and it's an extremely crowded field. Yeah, how do you feel now that it's it's done, it's, it's in shops, and what does that feel like for you? Now that, oh, yeah. So... This is the PG, please, podcast. Satisfaction 
of a job well done. So you feel like you feel satisfied. Yes, and a sense of relief because how many Kickstarters are out there that never deliver? A ton of them. That was the big thing is I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to ruin my name. Even if, yes. Even if you don't like it, but you get it, that's all I promised. I promised you'd get it. I didn't promise you'd like it. It's really scary to, th- to put yourself out there, and then if it were to, f- to bomb, that's on the internet forever. Yep. So. And uh, the editing part, the writing is so much fun. And that's where the difference between the board games and the adventures that I'm doing comes in. It's almost like I'm writing a book. You are. Whereas you're designing a game. You're making mechanics. I'm using somebody else's existing framework and just going like, okay, here's something to do in that. In a way, I think that board game designers also, there's just no way to make something brand new. Uh, Oh, right. It's kind of like there's no new songs. There's no new songs. Um, it's kind of like how Harry Styles <laughs> rips off all those 80s tracks. Don't sue me. <laughs> uh, but there's only there's only so many different iterations of anything that you can do. I mean, yeah, it's all been done. It's all it's almost well. I say it's all been done except for this next thing I'm doing. I don't think anybody's done it. I got something brand new. It has. It's been done. I don't even know what it is, and it's been done. I'll find him seven <laughs> examples of how it's been done already. Because I will say in the uh, RPG world, I'm also working on a play as the monsters. Yes, I got to demo that, or I got to, yeah, I got a prototype with So that one's called Dungeon Dwelling Creatures right now. That's the one I can't play again. You can't play any of them ever again. (laughs) But that one is, and that's one of the first concepts you come up with. When you're playing those games, after you play for a while, you're like, okay, we've played the heroes, but what if we got to play as the monsters? What if we were the bad guys? And it's like, that's the most unoriginal idea, but if you do it in new, if you put a new twist on it, you can make it fun and different and make it your own. Yes, but what if we were the bad guys, Eddie? I think we might be the bad guys. (laughs) We're the bad guys of the podcast game. Well, I will say that the metric that you proposed that night that we played this was um, just be the most evil. I don't remember saying That's that. That's literally word for word no one what said you said. That. No one said that. You and said, I said, please don't do this, and Rock immediately did that. That's not true. Immediately I, did that. Well, that was a memorable night. I, I got a experience... Uh, lots of things that I probably never would have. But that's another thing, too, that you have to think about for play tests is one player can just ruin it all. Cause I did one, not ruin it. I enhanced the experience. There's one person that we play board games with a lot, <laughs> and if they're not in the right mood, then it yeah. becomes... And you're like, oh. It doesn't matter what I demo now because you're boozy booing it. Yeah, You're putting the boo-boo face on it, and it's like... Uh, yeah, it really does ruin the whole mood. Uh, sometimes I avoid going. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. And that's why you don't play RPGs with Rock. <laughs> this is true. He's going like, to do something to break it for everyone. Well, I'm just saying, uh, you kind of set that farmer's kids up to be eaten by. <laughs> Being eaten was okay, but this is a PG podcast, so I can't go into the rest of the details. That's, well, I don't think I went much farther than that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, talk speaking speaking about prototyping, um, and so when you do prototyping with people, well, you know what? Let me skip you for a second because you already you already attacked me. <laughs> I'm going to attack you again. So I'll tell you what I've experienced with prototyping. If you prototype someone's game, wait 
until you're at least, I don't know, halfway through it to critique anything. Or better yet, just wait till it's over to share your opinion on some things. So one thing that drives me crazy as a designer, and I love everybody that prototypes my games, so super, super grateful. But one thing that drives me crazy is when we can't get past the, the setup and the basics yep. because we're going to critique at every step of the way. And it just, yeah, it just, it, it kills it before anybody can actually decide if it's fun or not. Yeah, the worst game of the dungeon crawling, dungeon dwelling creatures that I've done was where I had a bunch of game designers with me. Yeah, I could see that. And they were like, actually, I think the rule should work like that. Or wouldn't it be better if you did this? And it's like, there's a level of feedback that you want, but there's definitely too many chefs mm-hmm. in the stew where it's like, okay, look, I appreciate your feedback, but that's never going to, I'm never going to put that in. Yeah. One of the worst, well, I won't say worse. One of the mistakes that I've made uh, going into this game was trying to create a large team of people to mm-hmm. do this with. And at first that made a lot of sense because I wanted to create a lot of product. I, I have so many ideas that are sitting on a shelf that are ready to be made that that seemed like a natural thing to do so that we could get these things churning out. But it just ended up being just total chaos. It was just, it's kind of like whenever you have to do a team report Oh yeah, in school or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want those guys to be my pallbearers so they can let me down one more time. <laughs> I'm not going to say anybody let me down. It's just, it was, um, it's okay to say that it's too difficult to navigate. So for me, this is my full time gig. Yeah, and if it's your vision, right? if you see it one way, it's like, okay, you can make minor corrections, you can steer it a little bit, but when you start putting too much in it, or don't, or if you're not on my timeline. And that's what, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of it is timeline, and then you have to, if you're working with somebody, if you're working with somebody else on designing a game, you have to give concessions to the designer. Right. Uh, Everybody has a unique voice, and that particular unique voice is the designer's voice. Well, I'll give you an example that I'm working with my buddy John right now on this Dungeon Dwelling Creatures, and it's his. He came up with that idea. It's not, And again, it's not like, that's the most original idea ever. I had that idea with Matt several years ago, and I said, we should do this, and we didn't. So he came back. John came years, didn't hear us say it or anything. It was his original idea. He said, hey, I'm going to do this. And I was like, I've already been thinking about it for a while. I'll so jump in with you. you. Off. No, that's the <laughs> most, that's kind of, I don't know. I'm thinking of it like, I had an idea for a game where you use these cards and you whoever gets the most points wins. Oh, oh okay. Wow. What, what a unique concept. Let me write that down. Don't steal it. <laughs> but collaborating with somebody, there's times where he was like, I like A version and you like B version. And I go, well... You're the president of this thing. I'm the vice president. What you like, do it your way. So and you when just, I run this game, I'll run it my way. You just told him he's wrong, but he could, he's free to be wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, this is your baby. So you're free to feed it nothing but sugar all day. Okay. <laughs> I don't recommend it, but. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was your, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was manufacturing. Fashion style. Okay. How did you get your book manufactured? Who did you go through? What What was the process? That's was it the expensive? Good thing. 
that's the good thing as opposed to a board game where you've got to make a board and pieces and playing cards and then get the dice and wrangle all that together. If anybody's thinking about doing what I'm doing, don't. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I will say for anybody thinking about doing what I've done, do it because you can print one copy. You can print one copy. Your, your own adventure that you make up for yourself, you can print yourself one nice copy and it's not super expensive. How much would you say, I won't ask about yours, but production costs for something like yours? It's probably pretty similar. Just the manufacturing. It's probably pretty similar back to you on Ravens where it's like, uh, I, I charge 10 bucks for it and I paid five bucks to get it done. Every one of those copies is costing me five bucks with none of my labor. You know, if I'm not paying myself, I, I pay you $5 to print it out and then hopefully I can turn around and sell it for 10. So how much do you think that you've invested into millions and millions? And how much do you think you've gotten in return? 32 cents. But the (laughs) feeling of satisfaction and love that I've got from the public has made it all worth it. I'm in the same boat. I think I've invested about $10,000 into Ravens and I've probably made, I don't know, $400 in sales. And does that count your time? At all. No, it doesn't count my time. Because think you got to put your time as a game designer in there. You got to put your time in there as the uh, artist illustrator. So if you paid yourself anywhere near minimum wage, you wouldn't be able to do this. As a one man band, you as a one man band, you really you're wearing so many hats and you're not getting paid for any of them. So I did uh, all the writing, of course, and I also did the layout, which I freaking hate, hate doing layout. Oh, layout's fun. So there you go. And then I have to pay for all the art. So I had so much invested into art. And that's one of the things that I've said on things like these. It seems like the artist is going to make more than the writer. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, there's so did you ever consider going to a publisher when you were doing yours? Or is that how that works in that world? That's not really something I understand. No, not really. Okay. Um, Luckily, Goodman Games and Joe Goodman are really cool about letting you use their license. So maybe the example on that would be like, uh, if it was uh, Raiders and they said, you could put out your own expansion. If you've got a great idea for an expansion, send it to us and we'll put it under our umbrella. We'll authorize it. We're not going to give you anything for it, but we'll authorize you to use our, our system setting. Okay. So that's kind of how that is. And they were really good about helping me advertise it. But, Right now, they've got enough on-staff writers that they weren't like, this is so good. We're going to publish it ourselves. Right. And maybe somewhere down the road, after I've proven myself a little bit more, they will go, hey, would you like to contribute to this or would you like to do that? I just don't ever see myself working with a publisher. I just, well, you kind of know that I'm already uh, a perfectionist at so many things that the idea of turning over my IP to a publisher and watching them watching them dissect it and decide what's best for it. Uh, it's nightmare fuel. Well, I feel like with board games, every board game you design is a lottery ticket. It, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. It could be the big one. It could be your unstable unicorns or something where it's like, boy, this just took off. I didn't expect it. Some company picked it up and it's just boom gone. Whereas for RPGs, at the low, low level I am, that's like, hey, maybe I'll get a meal out of this or something. 
I just want everybody to know that to make no illusions that getting in the board game world is definitely pay to play. If you look mm-hmm. at these uh, companies that had immense success, they had a ton of capital behind them. So if you think you're going to get into this and you're not going to have any capital, you your best bet is to have a huge network of people behind you before you even start. Yep. One thing I've noticed is a lot of, well, after, you know, I've gone around and I've talked to a lot of people who had successful Kickstarters. I wanted to kind of get it from the horse's mouth. What made you successful? A lot of times they tell me, they said, we launched this once already and it failed. And then they had to turn around and relaunch. Well, with that failed launch, they built up an audience. Yep. People wanted to see it made. So they told their friends, they did those things. If you don't have the capital, you definitely need the people behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that I had going for me with doing all the uh, convention stuff and running so many public games is that yeah. people knew me and they were like, oh, okay, I know this guy. I'll support his Kickstarter instead of like if it was just Carnage and Casino thrown out there. Yeah, nothing. Crickets. Well, I think going to your convention and setting up, even though I almost got kicked out, it was the thing that pushed me over the edge on the You're Kickstarter. You're welcome. And uh, <laughs> of course, I encouraged you to do it. So it's true. I am a great friend. But a lot of people were upset with how raucous the game was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies if anyone's listening. Um, I do not or did not really understand the nature of tabletop RPGs <laughs> at the time. We did get a few people asking if that was coming back. Uh, no, it's not coming back. And well, I might be there, uh, selling with, uh, Steve's table, but I will not be slapping anyone's tables. So, so far, <laughs> unless you request it, not even by request, <laughs> but I'm excited about this first, uh, face slapping RPG that you've got going. The face slapping RPG. That's actually, <laughs> that's pretty good. Isn't that it? should be good. It's kind of like the, you uh, should do that. Was it the Russian strongman or whatever, where you kind of like grip that thing and the other guy just slaps the <laughs> I can see one of the cards. If he dies, he dies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, all right. So you do a lot of storytelling in your games. My games, um, I actually, a lot of people probably don't know this. I'm a writer first. I actually have published books. Mm -hmm. But um, under under a pen name, I am a huge storyteller. I love storytelling. I love to tell stories. I've often thought that about you. With what? When we're sitting down talking about something, I'm like, this guy is a huge storyteller. <laughs> this is all facts. I can tell everything he says. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I love telling, I love stories. I love making up worlds and things. But one of the challenges for me with making a board game is that I am limited to how much story I can really inject into that. Right. Um, some of my attempts to put some of my worlds into some of my games have been very difficult. And there's, I tell you, it's it's scary to do because you have no idea whether that's going to resonate with anybody or not. I mean, you talk about a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. If, if I, some of these concepts are... Um, kind of out there and it takes something that's already niche and makes it even more niche. Yeah. So, and then there's a temptation to create something that uh, resonates with a broader audience at the cost of your soul. So, uh, 
the game that you're the board game that you're working on right now does it have a theme yes that's not face slapping yes and it's totally selling out and i'm hoping you'll see it in walmarts all across the world okay okay can you it's going to be the antithesis of everything rock enjoys and loves (laughs) all right can i share it yes will i no okay uh so I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in talking about what you do for double exposure. Uh-oh. Um yeah, don't you sass them. You take uh you take indie games and you get them out into the public and you doesn't even have to be indie games though cuz no. uh, like The Op I I have no reference for that game. Oh yeah. Whenever you see an Opoly in oh, stores oh, oh. That's The Op. And I, they've got a bunch of Disney licenses like they've got the Sorcerer's Arena right now, and I think they did uh, your favorite game, What the Cup. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I there passed. can be the big, huge uh, publishers, or it can be the teeny tiny indie guy. So the funny thing with Opoly games is not all of them are by Hasbro. Oh, yeah, right. Um, I think I saw a Kilgore Opoly at the Walmart over here. That's embarrassing. Yeah, because <laughs> I know there's a long view Opoly, so it's kind of like how how small does it get before you start getting your, stop getting your own Opoly? Now, I saw an interesting one the other day. It was like um, I don't know, like you could play a Stalin. I think that's what it was. It was <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everybody ended up in jail by the end of the game. <laughs> wow, or shot. They went to the Gulag. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was labeled the Gulag. But but uh, Mimi Flory. Yeah, well, one, I don't two. know how to say it. So, Mili Fiori, yeah, the game know. of glass blowing. So, but that's Devere or whatever, and they're not—they're not a huge publisher, but they're big. Well, it's the designer is uh, Reiner Nietzsche. Yeah, I think I said that right. Yeah. I hope so. And he's, he's big in the. Well, I guess that's kind of in the uh, inside board gaming world too, because if you don't board game, you don't know who that is. That guy has designed like literally a million games. He's not Mr. Monopoly where it's just like everybody knows. I know, but he really should be known. Right. Yeah. I tell you what, I actually, I really enjoy that game. The only, the only problem I see with it is it's kind of, this goes back to my design philosophy. Set up. No, I don't think the setup's actually too bad on that. It's intuitive design. So right. when you had to teach it, you taught it to us. Um, Very well, I might add. You, well, you did, and you had to. You ha- It had to be taught. It wasn't something that I, I knew that, you know, you got the glass factory at the top. It wasn't like I knew... By looking at it, looking happens? at that board is very intimidating. It's super intimidating. There's so much going on, but really, it's like five or six mini games. It is that it you're is. trying to win. And I, I actually, I love that game. I love to play it, but it's one of those that you have to know exactly how things work and a beautiful presentation. And there's no remind. Yeah, it is a beautiful presentation, and there's no reminder how like on the board. There's very few indicators. Like right, you, you got to have to you have to get the book out. Yeah, uh, if you haven't played in a while, you're probably going to need to get the book out, uh, which goes against my design philosophy. Is it should be intuitive, right? Um, in by design, like by iconography or what, what is that word? Symbology is that a word? So I guess going since we're looking at Rock's game shelf right here, right next to it is Ticket to Ride. And I love Ticket to Ride. And would you say that's pretty intuitive? 
It's very intuitive. Exactly. Because it's like, here, there's five little trains. You need to put five little trains on there to do this. Oh, and they're red. So you need five red card. Well, you see the gray ones and you're like, okay, yep. uh, I don't, I don't have not seen any gray cards. Well, naturally the process of elimination, you assume it must be any color. So what did you think of rails and sales? I've not played that. That one is almost the exact opposite. It's like what brought you to the dance is being fairly simple and intuitive mm-hmm. with ticket to ride and rails and sales loses a lot of that. I think it's, that one, I think they're, that that was more advertising to maybe like you, where they're like, we want the more high-end, uh, there's not enough bits and pieces to this game. You know, there's not enough moving parts. The, the higher level gamers, however you want to say that, that is the actually, ones that like more complex games. That's not me, actually. I the more me- mechanics you can get. I don't like that. Um, that's why I take it to ride. I play, that's one, it's my go-to. I like Ticket to ride. I like Wingspan. Mm-hmm. Um but more complex games, even Root is a little bit more complex than I'd like. Um, I like something, okay, I mean, board game groups change so often. Like, mm-hmm. you can get new people, you can lose lose old people. Go somewhere else, you're, you're playing with brand new people. I don't want something that I have to teach everybody how to play every time. Like, Or let's say you add somebody to the group. Well, now you've got to teach them. I'm going to teach you how to play Root right now before we play. Right. Well, I can teach them how to play Ticket to Ride, mm-hmm. and that's fun, and we're all having a good time, and it's it's easy to learn. I wouldn't say Ticket to Ride's difficult to master, but there's definitely different strategies that you can go about. If you want to be a jerk and... Which you do. Oh, I do, absolutely. If there's a way to make it not fun for others, that is how I have my fun. Right. Whereas <laughs> if me and my wife play it, we're pretty much playing our own separate games. It's like I'm not trying to encroach on you. If I've got to go, you know, from Atlanta to New York, I'm going to. And if you needed some of that track, tough. But I'm not going out of my way like, oh, I see you've started heading over to Portland. Here's my train to cut you off. Yep, that's me. That's wrong. <laughs> it doesn't even matter if it causes me to lose. Right. <laughs> that's why uh, he's a disturber. Yeah. It's like um, Flux. I will make Flux go on. For infinity. And really, that's not my fault. That's a design problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it's like um, Ravens had a design problem where at first it could go on forever because people started getting better and better and better at it. And I was like, oh, this could cause a problem later on. So I had to introduce the idea of Valkyries that would make it to where um, diminishing returns on, on what you get from the, from the field um, it just starts thinning out the deck until the stakes get so high yep. that somebody wins. Um, that's probably the best design decision I, I ever made. Uh, but no, I don't enjoy super complicated games. Um, I'm still a huge fan of Raiders of the North Sea, even though I've played it so much and I've taken it apart. Uh, unfortunately, where Raiders has a problem is the worker. So the worker placement aspect is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems that I see with it is that, well, I'm going to put it this way. I had a, so let's say you're playing with a couple Mm -hmm. and you're going clockwise, obviously. So the person to your left really dictates how your game's going to play out. Yeah. So if the person to your left wants to be a jerk and, and mess you up, which they probably do and mess with your, uh, your worker placement, like where you're able to get resources from, 
they're going to do that. Now the other person might set the next person up. Right. You know, and it just becomes this, it spirals out of control. It's just, it's just, well, it's just, it's messy. Um, but other than that, I love almost everything about that game except the expansions. I'm not a huge fan of expansions in general though. Right. And I'm super upset that I pick up a copy of Root. Now, I don't know if this is like a second edition or something, mm-hmm. but the book already contains all the other factions that you would get from the expansions. So it says if you pick up this expansion, you can do XYZ or XYZ for anybody. <laughs> Canada? Yeah, Canada. XYZ. So they already had the expansions in mind when they developed it. Now, I understand if you're trying to keep costs down, mm-hmm. but Root is like a, well, if you go to a brick and mortar, it's probably about 50 something dollars for the, for the, but I'm looking at the components and as a designer, I know that you probably could have fit those in there to get, at the get go and it's okay, it's okay if you, you know, but at the very least in this, if you're going to release the expansion, it contain it should contain all the additional factions, not just we're gonna add the lizard cult people, and that's one fifty dollar expansion. I'm not I'm not one hundred percent. Yeah, how are sure they gonna get their extra fifty bucks if they don't do that? Well, you don't need that. You know, put it all into one. If you're gonna they expand do. it, expand it. I don't know if that's the case that it's just all the lizard people in one box or whatever, but that's the way it appears to me right now. So, I don't believe in those design practices. Um, I do understand if you want to keep co- uh, production costs low for the first one. Uh, make it accessible to everybody and then add an expansion that, you know, really fleshes out the game. But like you, do you really need 10 expansions? I don't know. When you become a corporation, maybe that's a necessary evil. It kind could of, be for RPG games uh, for dungeons and dragons. It's kind of like if they don't print a book or four a year, they can't keep it going. They have to, they have to keep you buying. I don't know about Hasbro. Yeah. They, Nobody does. Well, I don't know if I want to say that on the podcast. Just edit it out. Yeah. They just, they seem to be trying to drive their entire company straight, (laughs) straight to Hades. Um, So you've got your campaign, you've got your book, it's made it to the shelves. What is it like to sell it? What is your experience trying to sell this to board game stores? It's fantastic. Oh. Because... The vast, vast majority of them want nothing to do with it. <laughs> That's what I figured. Because it's not their thing. Right. Think how many of our little hobby shops, because it's not like, oh, they're going to put it in Walmart. So think about how many little friendly local game stores are, are just magic shops. Too many. Yeah. So you can write those guys off right there. And then that's probably, and then it's, if they have RPGs, this is not D&D. It's not compatible with D and D. I mean, mm-hmm. really, it is. Like I always say to people when I'm teaching them a different system, it's like you get to roll a D twenty. If you roll high, good things happen. If you roll low, bad things are going to happen. That's really the nuts and bolts of the game. So you could can make it compatible with anything, but it's not D and D. So even um, Dragon's Nest didn't really carry Dungeon Crawl classics, and then I'm a subset of that. So, I mean, it's as niche, as niche, as niche as you can go. And that you probably find that hurts you some. Yeah, but then you're like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to make money? Or am I just doing it for the love of the game and to get it out there? And that's what it was for me. Oh, if I did that for the profits, no. 
But these board games that I'm doing, those are 100% for the profits. <laughs> those rock is going to cry when he sees those. He's like, this is everything I'm against. <laughs> Let's hope that's not the case. <laughs> it is. Um, it's time to sell out folks. I tell you what though, trying to sell my game to board game stores. It's really difficult. Um, it has been that bad for me as your number one salesman. Well, the difference is, is you go store to store, Charisma. you're in their face and you have the game in their face trying to sell this thing sight unseen. That is a huge challenge because there's no, I don't have a lot of clout behind me right now. So what? yeah, I think I've got like 1200 followers on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to get there. Anybody listening? I'm going to make it. There's a song about that somewhere. That's Either me. die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. <laughs> yeah. The, if anybody's listening, you're going to play this back one day. I either became famous or infamous. Yeah. When that 12th expansion pack for Ravens comes out. <laughs> that would be so dumb. Yeah, there's. I don't really think now with raccoons. Raccoons. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a way to do that, but uh, I'll entertain it for you. Of course, you could do it. You're a you're a brilliant designer, Rock. Come on, you could do it. I am a fledgling designer, but I have been looking at some other people that are in the same profession that I'm in, and I feel a lot better about myself sometimes. So. Uh, I'm going to edit that out because I want to talk about the guy that inspired me. Yeah, and I just thought of one that I want to ask you about that we're not going to talk about on this podcast. We can talk about him. So anyway, wrapping up, I know that uh, we've probably gone on longer than what people are used to on this little podcast. And you're going to edit it down to 15 minutes. I'm so. going to edit this down to 15 minutes. <laughs> but wrapping up, I do want to discuss uh, criticism. Have you received I'm any sorry, criticism? I'm sorry, I'm very... No. None? But I... Okay, let's start right Let now. Let me flip it back on you. Have <laughs> you received any criticism? Um, yes. Really? Yes. Everybody at the long con. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course. But, okay, so on the flip side, though, from your Kickstarters, from people you don't know, have you got a lot of feedback like, hey, it's great, I love it, or are they just radio silent? No, I actually have gotten a lot of positive feedback. When people get it in their hands and they start, you know, fooling around with it, they realize, you know, it's not, it's, it, I'll, I'll stand behind it. It's not just because I designed it. It is just a really fun game. As a designer, I can still play it myself and I don't hate my own creation. So I don't think I'm ever really going to. It's just, it just works. Yeah. So for that, I can say that I haven't got a lot of feedback, but I don't feel like that's unusual. It's like if people hated it, or if they didn't like it, I oh, I'd be hearing it. I'd be hearing it so much. But people that like it, just don't say that much about it. And I'm sure, and I don't know how much this would apply to Ravens, how many people buy it and never play it? They just put it on the shelf. Actually, what I've found is I get return customers. Yeah. So I get someone that will general. I'd say at least half of the people that purchase a single copy they come back and they'll purchase like four or five, I assume for Christmas gifts or yeah. whatever. But uh, that's the good thing again about a board game card game right. is if you really like it, you can gift it to all your friends for a D and D type adventure. You only need one for the friend group. Do you sell a lot of yours online? Uh, are you on like drive through RPG or no, I'm, I'm print only. Print only. If you want it, you have to get a print copy and you have to go through Goodman games. Okay. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's been a benefit for me is have my own platform and I, I have control over all of that uh, distribution. Now I could do drive-through RPG or whatever, but I'm waiting to get some more stuff published so it's not just one thing out there. And then the PDF copy is going to be so dirt cheap and drive-through RPG gets so much of a cut that it's like, eh, I'm missing out on nickels maybe. Yeah, I don't really think about it like that personally. Like all like Ravens, if anybody's listening, I hope somebody's listening. If you're listening, if you're not listening, I don't know how you got here. <laughs> and how did they hear this part that was edited out? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, but the one thing is it would be nice to get more feedback. That's what I would say. I think, well, I don't know. If you're, so your next campaign, you're doing another campaign that follows the same, um, is it, for lack of a better word, it's the same engine, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so in that case, I imagine that, you know, even critical feedback could be used to help you design something. Exactly. Know. Like, I didn't like that. Yeah. But then again, there's design choices on that, too, where it's like, if you didn't like something that I put in there that was really weird, it's too bad. You can go to Eddie's product page, and you can give it all the negative feedback that he needs. Yeah. Review bomb Ravens. <laughs> Get Ravens canceled now. I think Ravens has one review right now. You don't know what you got until it's gone. And it doesn't even show as a verified purchase. So keep your dice so that's rolling. Awesome. And so is there anything you want to add? <laughs> is there anything that you want to add to this uh, before we get off of here, Eddie? No, I'm really looking forward to taking this journey into board game land with you. I think you're just looking forward to lunch. I am definitely looking forward to lunch. I'm about to chew the top of this microphone off. <laughs> But one of the important things with a podcast, too, is your listener feedback. So if you'd like to contact us, you can leave comments on Spotify. There'll also be a poll on Spotify that you can fill out if you're interested. Uh, we would love for that. If people are interested in getting a copy of your game, Eddie, where can they go get that game? Goodman Games Online Store. Limited quantities available, so rush out and get it. <laughs> I don't to get paid for those, so they, Goodman Games bought them off of me. Okay. So, so they're just selling their stock of it now. Okay, so... Yep, but uh, if everybody supports Eddie, then maybe they'll want some more content from him. He's got new content coming. If you're interested in Ravens, you can pick up a copy of Ravens at joyhammergames.com. I always keep the shipping free unless you're in Canada, and then I'm sorry that it's way too expensive. It's about $15 shipping to you all. But uh, that'll be everything for today's show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And as always, keep your dice on the table. This is Rock. And Eddie. And this is Joyhammer Games Unboxed Dice and Mallet. Join us next week as we talk about the meat processing industry and its effect on board games. You've been listening to Dyson Mallet, Joyhammer Games Unboxed, episode 003. This episode was recorded on October 18th, 2023.